Welcome back to STEM Fatal, your women in science history podcast. Yeehaw. I am. Oh, I thought <laughs> I would try something new. No, I liked it. I uh-huh. am Cowboy Gremlin. And I'm Cowboy Emlyn. Wait. Wait. <laughs> Dilemma. I'm Cowboy Dilemma. I like that you were just going to take my name. Cowboy Emlyn. I didn't even realize I said your name until just now. Oh my god. It was surprising uh, to me. This is but like definitely the smoothest intro yeah. we've ever had. I was flattered that you wanted to be <laughs> Cowboy Emlyn. Oh my god, I'm so... What's wrong with me? <laughs> Maybe okay. I haven't like talked to anyone else yeah. really in like two days. This is what happens when you're in the deep throes of dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> you try to steal someone else's identity and just leave. Well, you are graduating way sooner than I am, mm-hmm. so then I could just get it over with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if you turn in the paperwork and you're like, no, no, I just defended. Yeah. No, I'm Emlyn. <laughs> I'm, I'm Cowboy Emlyn. She's Gremlin. I'm Emlyn. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. I'm Cowboy Dilemma. Yeah, yeah. and I'm Cowboy Gremlin. <laughs> and welcome to this yeah. great podcast. Really rehearsed, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So before we get into it, I wanted to give two shout-outs to people have who have given us shout-outs, a little tit for tit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You said that. I said it, and I said podcast. it again. It's fine. So first one goes out to Dr. Zen. Oh, yeah. Who gave us a shout out for our Cecilia Payne Kaposchkin yeah, episode. That was so nice. And then the other one goes to Create a Cast. That's what they wrote for their, they gave us an iTunes review. Oh. Which I'm not going to oh, read because yeah. it was very sweet. So nice. Uh, I'm going to be, I would be embarrassed to read it, but yeah. thank you a lot. Um, and so if anybody else wants to give us reviews, we love them and cherish them. Yeah. And we'll give you a shout out, but we won't read it because it's, on the pod. We'll the read pod. it. We'll, re- we'll, we'll yeah. read it, but we will cherish it personally. Personally. Yeah. In our private time. <laughs> Even though they're public? Okay. Even though they're public. We don't it's cherish them weird. like that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Anyway. Moving on. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, and we're just going to get in it before anything else weird happens. <laughs> oh, gosh. Off to a good start. Yeah. And this question's going to right. make it even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... If you were Poseidon, oh, I am. What would you smoke? What would I smoke? Seaweed, I guess. Yes, thank you. Okay. <laughs> oh, I just got the joke. Wait, how'd you guess it? And I just thought sea, like any kind of greenery uh, okay. in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Seaweed's the first. It's not a good ah, joke. Seaweed. Uh, so uh, we're gonna what? talk about roll up a doob. Roll up a very wet, <laughs> ew, wet doob. Fishy. A fishy wet doob. Yeah. Salty. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Don't smoke Not for se- me. <laughs> Probably don't smoke seaweed. Don't smoke seaweed, listeners. Guys. So, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about seaweed today. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. And okay. the, the woman who's an utmost expert on Pacific, California, and Hawaiian... Seaweed. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I'm All right. I'm interested. Let us do it. Yeah. Also, the month is like National Asian American and Pacific Islander oh. Appreciation Month. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think, I think I that's that. what the... I think I got that right. So, this is the first Native Hawaiian woman to receive a PhD in science. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Cool. So, we haven't talked about any Pacific Islanders. No, we so. haven't. We're doing it. Yeah. We're getting it. I'm ready. All right. So, oh, and because she is Hawaiian, I'm going to do my utmost best to pronounce things. Oh, yeah. Long names with lots of vowels. But please forgive me. I did try. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It's the thought that counts. Yeah. Okay. So, Isabella was born... Oh, I guess I should say... Her name is Isabella uh, Aiona... Abbott. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, Isabella was born Isabella Kawakia Yao Yung Aiona in Hana, Maui, Hawaii on June wow. 20th, 1919. Her name means White Rain of Hana, oh. um, but she and she calls herself Izzy. So oh, okay. So, I'll refer to her as Isabella and Izzy, but yeah. she always went by Izzy. Her father was Chinese, and her mother was predominantly Native Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. As a girl, her mother taught her about the edible Hawaiian seaweeds. So they'd oh. go to the beach, and uh, Izzy said that her mom would try to get them to collect seaweed, these edible seaweeds, because then you can't be drowning in the ocean or like <laughs> getting bit by things because you're looking for seaweed. You're... Safely preoccupied on the beach. Oh, I see. It's like a safe activity that keeps kids entertained. Instead of swimming, she's like at the shore, like kind of where the waves crash or something. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So they spent a lot of time at the beach, um, and Izzy learned about all the Hawaiian seaweeds um, that her mother would collect for, you know, eating and stuff like that. So. She graduated, she went to the Kamahamaha schools and graduated from them. This was uh, like elementary, middle school, high school. Yeah. In 1937. Man. And while there, Abbott's passion for botany was fueled um, when she remembers growing and harvesting beads to feed about 150 girls that went to that school for dinner. Wow. Uh, and every Wednesday afternoon, her seventh grade class worked in the flower garden. So they had this huge That's garden. so cool. And it was, it seems like it was organized based on the color flower, the flower color. Oh, So there was wow. like the green garden and the like yellow garden and the red garden. Dang. Um, but every week they would go out and they would like harvest vegetables and they had this garden that was feeding all the, the female yeah. students there. Um, and they also had all the plants were labeled. So she got to learn all like the scientific names for a bunch of plants. Wow. And got her interested in botany. And that was the first time anybody told her that scientific names actually meant something. Oh, okay. So she had like heard about scientific names, but she actually learned what the scientific name had a meaning, kind of like the Hawaiian name has a meaning. Yeah, right. Um, and wasn't just Latin gobbledygook. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then she went after... Um, going to school, she started her undergraduate degree trying to get one in botany at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And while there, she did that. (laughs) (laughs) She got her. She got it. She did it. Um, 
And then she went to the University of Michigan to get her master's degree in botany. Okay. In 1942. And then went on to receive her PhD in botany at UC Berkeley in... I have 1850, but uh, 1950. No, yeah, that would make more sense. And while she was at UC Berkeley, she married fellow zoologist. Well, I guess she's a botanist. Yeah. So she she went across the aisle to the zoology. and I mean, oh, I guess zoo means animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, she married zoologist Donald Putnam Abbott, mm-hmm. who she had known from University of Hawaii when she got her oh, undergrad. okay. And then... Also was at UC Berkeley when she got there. So nice. kind of fate. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And In Isabel. 1950. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything about like the type of struggle she might have faced getting into a PhD program yeah. or anything like that. Um, there wasn't that much. In- There's not as much information about her. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where like if there aren't interviews of people during their lifetime describing mm-hmm. that kind of thing we just never we never know there's about nothing it. yeah yeah it's kind of crazy so um after they got married and both got their phds isabella and donald moved to pacific grove california nice hell yeah so that donald could teach at hopkins marine station at stanford university so yeah. he seemed to be like a marine invertebrate zoologist yeah and during this time Women were rarely considered for academic jobs. Right. And so Isabella spent her time raising their daughter, Annie, um, and kind of living up near the Hopkins station so her husband could work. Um, And she independently, during this time, studied the macroalgae of California. Yeah. For funsies. That's cool. Yeah. So she was doing that at this time while she was raising her daughter. And she was also adapting recipes to use the local bull kelp in foods like cake and pickles. Oh, wow. So, uh, oh. Abbott's culinary accomplishments with seaweed were renowned at the Hopkins Marine Station. That's cool. And in 1987, her work was the subject of an article in Gourmet. I tried <laughs> to find it because I yeah. felt like that would be fascinating, but I just couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, and she frequently brought dishes that used various seaweeds as an ingredient to potlucks and picnics at the Hopkins Marine Station. And one of her colleagues said, I don't think she saw a line between her professional career and her hobbies. She was a terrific cook. Instead of zucchini bread, she would show up with a nariocystis cake. And you'd be hard pressed <laughs> to tell that it wasn't zucchini. Yeah. It was delicious and usually disappeared in no time. Where has this all gone? I don't know. Like, I, I make... want seaweed recipes. Yeah. Not that there's any seaweed in Austin, Texas. Yeah, it would yeah. be. We'd have we'd to go have to, to some get, market. Like, dried seaweed from Trader Joe's. Yeah, or something. probably not yeah. the same. But she also, while at Hopkins, every year they would come together and everybody would help make or would help her make kelp pickles. Mm. And you just, I guess, soak the kelp for a long time in. What I'm guessing is like vinegar, if it's pickles. Oh, okay. I was about to say, like, isn't it already <laughs> kind of pickled? But, <laughs> but I forgot about the vinegar part. Yeah. That's necessary. But then it gets crispy and less slimy and all huh. acidy, I guess. Kelp pickles. So if you want to make kelp, kelp pickles. We need to start like a, a seaweed to... restaurant. Like, yeah. that's the new I wonder trend. if I can find some of these recipes and like yeah. post them with this episode. That'd be cool. I mean, again, we couldn't start that we can't in Austin. It, but if anybody's in Cal- on the oh, coast, yeah, yeah. we and can't you wanna... do it anyway. Yeah, that'd be. I would love to like see her recipes. Right? I mean, 
I don't know. Has this gone out of fashion entirely? Or are there people who still eat a lot of like, I mean, or forage for like seaweed like that? I think uh, it's a very cultural thing in Hawaii. Yeah, um, they have like a whole name for edible seaweed, and so we'll get cool. to it. We'll okay. get into it a little okay. bit. But I would imagine that people from like Native Hawaiians still do that. Yeah, uh, and I think isn't chi- like in China edible seaweed is like a huge market and probably japan yeah too. that makes sense yeah. yeah but yeah we'll try to find some recipes and we'll Stupid californians didn't pick up on this trend i know yeah i it's gotta I'm happen at some surprised. point yeah stupid hippies no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> they're smoking too much weed to yeah and to, to get to the seaweed, the seaweed. Mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've seen where they've <laughs> laid their bed Huh? Their seaweed bed. No. What? That's <laughs> we've seen where they lay their seaweed <laughs> bed. It's like okay. It's supposed to be. Um. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. What is the phrase you were going for? Like, <laughs> um, they made their own bed, and we... now they must lie in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they've made their. Well, it was supposed to be like they've made their choice yeah. to choose weed over seaweed. And now we're going to watch them lie in it? But I don't know. we saw where they we- made the bed. So that's really that we got them. Got this dumb California. Oh, uh, we got them. We're going to watch them, those dirty. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. So then in... 1960, so I think yeah. it's like eight years after they moved up to the Hopkins area. Yeah. Um, Izzy started teaching as a lecturer at the Hopkins Marine Station and compiled a book on all of the marine algae of California, which Whoa. is like the en- uh, preeminent, it's like the authoritarian, not authoritarian. Authoritative? Authoritative. <laughs> Wait, is that the right word? It is the quintessential yeah. <laughs> marine algae of California book. What? What if California was run by a book on algae and the book would just open its pages and be like, California, and shout rules to all the Californians? Like, I don't know what those rules would be, but... Smoke more weed. (laughs) Don't eat my people. Don't? Oh, right. (laughs) The seaweed people. Yeah. Don't eat my people. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. So, in 1960, she started teaching, uh, lecturing about algae at the Hopkins Marine Station. Yeah. And then in 1972, so that's 12 years later, her productiveness as a researcher and effectiveness as a teacher was so undeniable that she was wow. hired as a full professor in biology, oh my gosh. bypassing the usual steps of the tenure track ladder nice. of being an assistant and then associate professor. She So she went from lecturer to full professor. Yeah. I don't think that happens anymore. Well, she must have been doing... She, I think she was Because awesome. she was doing research yeah. on the side, I'm guessing, and mm. publishing. Otherwise, yeah, publishing they books. Yeah. That's really cool. And so, at this time, Izzy was the first woman on the biological sciences faculty at Stanford. Wow. Um, yeah. Though she's kind of at, like, uh, remote Stanford. Yeah, yeah, remote Stanford. But still. That's still pretty, Stanford. really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, hey, how do I, what do I, how good do I need to be to go from 
skip the first two steps and just go straight to full professor. You have to be the expert on snail parasites. Okay. Just, you know, just A couple of people have to die, I think, before I can be that, because there's some other experts on snail parasites. I wish them well, though. It's hard to be the expert on anything anymore. I know. What's what's a low-hanging fruit we could be experts on? Huh. This is good. Probably some kind of undiscovered uh, animal or organism living in the in mud. In mud. Yeah. <laughs> well, sure. I, I think a lot of like of the species that are on coral reefs in like very remote areas that aren't coral mm. or like things that have to do with that ecosystem, like snails and yeah. a bunch of. Like marine snails on coral reefs in islands. Uh, I don't think anybody knows anything about, like, if you wanted to do the taxonomy and systematics of snail, marine snails in random archipelagos, I think you could be an expert in that. You could, yeah. Or... Would you get tenure for just being an expert on that i don't know it depends on ooh, or I'm like sure you could anymore some marine invertebrates probably like sponges oh, yeah i think there's very few people working on sponges in terms of like taxonomy mm. there's so many different species of and they're very invasive so maybe you could get tenure because yeah. that's kind of they're a problem species in so, like in some ways they're like useful in some ways but then some Oh, I think I didn't anything. Know there were problem sponges. Yeah, they're super invasive. Or how do they? And tunicates too. Okay. Can be very. Were they invasive. just like spread by boats or something? Yeah. Yeah. Stupid boats. Of course. All right. So this has been how to <laughs> become an become expert an expert and skip the whole hubbub. Process. Just yeah. go straight to full. Go straight to full with a lot of hard work. Yeah. <laughs> Assistant. Ha. Associate. <laughs> A lot of hard work, but less paperwork. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Less stress. Yeah. You only have like Doing one. more of the fun part. I would love to get an email that's just like, we just decided you were doing really good and we wanted <laughs> to give you full professor. Yeah, you deserve it. <laughs> deserve it. Yeah, I don't think that's happening oh. for me. Oh, it's definitely not happening for me. But potentially what happened for Izzy is she, during her career, authored eight books Dang. over 150 publications and discovered over <gasps> 200 macroalgal species. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty hard. It's pretty high bar. <clears throat> yeah. And some of her books included the definitive text on marine algae of yeah. the authoritative, authoritarian <laughs> text on marine algae yeah. of California. Mm-hmm. And on the marine algae of Hawaii. And then she also, one of her books was called uh, Luau Hawaii, traditional Hawaiian uses of plants. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit yeah. more of that kind of stuff later. Nice. So, uh, when discussing why she liked seaweed so much, she said in an interview, it's a game. I bet with myself the whole time, from the time I cut it on the outside, I say, ooh, I think this might be such and such a family, or something like that. And yeah. by the time I get on some magnification on the microscope, oh no, you're 100% wrong. Huh chuckle that's awesome yeah Yeah. so i think it's just exciting for her it's exciting because it's you i think you have to know the follow the life cycle right in order to really figure out where 
these algae should be placed on, like, the tree of life. Yeah. So that's exciting. And people haven't really looked, probably, at most of those species, so it's all unknown territory. Uh, she also says, what I'm known for is naming plants, collecting plants, and either putting them into a classification where they're already known, or in this case, I might suspect it's an invasive species. Well, it then means a lot of microscope work to try to find out its life history, because it, how it goes through life history determines where you put it in the system of classification. Yeah. So it requires microscope works and to hit the books, because the answer might be in a book that you've never thought to look in. Hmm. So, okay. yeah, a lot of microscope work, a lot of field collecting. Yeah. A lot of reading to see if anybody else has found this crazy thing. Oh, man. Sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, She even has a genus of macroalgae named after her called Abatella. Oh, cool. Which means little abbot. Aww. (laughs) Which she says is really cute. Yeah. (laughs) They're like little tiny seaweeds. Oh, nice. Did did she name them after herself or did somebody else? Apparently you can't, you're not supposed to do that. So somebody else who's a collaborator of her named it after her. Nice. That's really nice. I didn't know you couldn't do that. I mean, maybe it's like, I think it may be just like a faux pas. Yeah. Okay. It's just a social rule. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, it looks bad for you. Mm Mm-hmm. So, okay, then in 1982, both the Abbots retired and returned to Hawaii. And there, uh, Isabella was hired by the University of Hawaii to study ethnobotany. Oh. Which is the interaction of plants and human society. Oh, cool. Yeah. So she moved. She still did a lot of stuff on macroalgae. Yeah. But she then also included, you know, more terrestrial, non-marine plants of Hawaii. Oh, oh, oh. Gotcha. Yeah. And, like, their cultural... And their cultural significance, yeah. yeah. And as a scientist, Abbott emphasized the importance of approaching science from a Hawaiian perspective, stressing mm. her wish to show the sophistication of Hawaiian culture by doing so. Oh, wow. And she also urged Native Hawaiians that she taught to pursue scientific careers. That's cool. And she, there was some interview I uh, listened to where she said... A lot of her students would be like, oh, but I don't have, you know, I'm not that smart. I'm not as smart as you. And she was yeah. like, I have a mediocre IQ. I just work hard and I'm very interested in it. And yeah. Like a lot of you are actually probably have higher IQs. Yeah. So you just need hard work. Like you just need to be willing to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we're not that smart. Just. <laughs> Um, obviously. Uh, obviously. I don't even know my own name. <laughs> I'm Cowboy Emlyn. You're like, um, no, you're not. Okay, sidebar. Um, so I did the same thing when I was in Panama uh, doing some field work. I knew who was in the lab that I yeah. was going to be working in. There was only one guy, and his name was Andrew, and I hadn't met him yet. Yeah. And so this guy comes in to the lab and it's clear, like, I assume that he's Andrew. Yeah. And so I go up to introduce myself. And so I go up, I shake his hand. I say, hi, I'm Andrew. (laughs) Just like lost it. He had no idea how to react. And I don't think, I don't think I realized I had introduced myself as As Andrew. And he was like, so am I? Anyway, so I understand. I'm Andrew. Hi, I'm Andrew. I was so confident too because I wanted yeah. to like I wanted to come yeah. off on a good foot. Uh huh. Um, yeah. 
That's hilarious. <laughs> so the rest of the time, people would just always like introduce themselves and they'd be like, hi, I'm Andrew. I'm like, yeah. Are you ever um, talking to someone on the phone and it's like, I don't know, your landlord or like a bank teller or something. You tell and them that- you love them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, okay, bye. You're like, bye, love you. <laughs> like, and you're like, wait, uh, no, bye. <laughs> yes, yes, I do that. I also, whenever I go to a movie theater or anywhere where they say, like, enjoy the film, yeah, and I like, say, you, you too. too. <laughs> like, no, you are just going to stand out here the whole time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Enjoy uh, what you're doing. Yeah. Just it's- times when our brain does things that we don't want it yeah. to. You I'm know? always worried I'm going to sign off on an email saying, like, love, saying love you. I yeah. feel like I've must, I must have done that. And someone's just not correct. Like, I don't, you don't respond. <sighs> yeah. You just kind of, you're like, okay, I don't think they meant that they loved me. <laughs> I don't think I send a lot of emails with love you at the end. Oh, though, so oh, I'm I not send sure. everybody. You never send me. Oh, I'm sorry. Love yous. I will. I'll start. Crying. Crying. Cowboy. Oh, cow, love. <laughs> cowboy. Gremlin. Two cowboy Emlyn. I'm going to sign everything cowboy Emlyn now because <laughs> that's who I am. Great. Okay. Perfect. Sidebar over. Yeah. yeah. Sidebar over. We're back in it. Okay. So once she became a professor at University of Hawaii and mm-hmm. started doing more work on ethnobotany, she researched the Hawaiian cultural meaning of plants in Hawaii. Oh, and nice. she wrote a book, as I said before, called uh, Luau Hawaii, yeah. uh, which explored the links between plants and their symbolism in the hula dance. Oh, wow. She also had a deep knowledge of what was termed canoe plants. Like to build canoes? No, oh. which are plants that were brought over. Oh, by Hawaiians okay. that they still use now um, for cultural reasons, gotcha. but they aren't yeah. from Hawaii. They were brought over when Which Hawaiians is like first a came. A lot of plants there, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Even just the all of the tropics grow. There are a lot of plants growing where it's like, did this plant originate? Yeah, and people don't really know. Yeah, I do not envy like biogeography taxonomy people that have to try to disentangle whether or not things were brought over by people or by uh yeah or their natural measures i guess but so okay so some of the stuff she did for instance she focused on understanding the basis for many hawaiian plant uses before Western contact in 1778 so she's trying to cool a lot of stuff that's been lost She's trying to understand where it came from before our contact with the West. Or yeah. their contact with the West. And she's related many of these uses to the male-dominated religion. Oh. So I got deep into this where I <laughs> I started yelling at Andres. I was just like, I'm out of my depth! <laughs> you went and, yeah, you went off the deep end yeah. trying to research and uh-huh. know everything. Yeah, so I went deep into like old hawaiian religion oh my gosh some of it's relevant that's way uh yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay <laughs> for instance some of the work she did she found that it was taboo for women to use a variety of different foods and vegetables that were associated with the four main gods oh and these 
foods that women were not allowed to like touch or eat Dang. were taro, sugarcane, <gasps> co- coconut, <gasps> banana, <gasps> large fish, whales, what? dolphins, and turtles. So like a lot of food. Yeah. And so such food prohibitions forced women to exploit the shallow seas for religious neutral foods. Oh and my so gosh. such as limu, which is the edible seaweed. So oh. there's a tradition of women knowing the names uh, and identifications yeah. of various edible seaweed in Hawaii. And the men don't know that. And that's based on like historical religious context where oh. women weren't allowed to eat a lot of food. That's that the really men were allowed to eat. So they had to go find so they these like alternative experts. foods yeah. that they could eat. Yeah. I wonder why sugar cane. They related each of them to different gods. I don't oh, that's so like right. Taro yeah. and Sugarcane were related to one god. I didn't uh write down which gods they were. No Taro, no sugarcane. Yeah. That sucks. I think if a man prepared the Taro and, like, you never touched it, you could eat it. But the penalty for, like, disobeying some of these laws was death. Oh, my gosh. So you seems unnecessary. It's, yeah, it's very intense. So <laughs> they really found these alternative yeah. food sources. Oh, that's Anyways, that was, that was yeah. some of the stuff she, she researched trying to understand the historical basis for this. Yeah. Um, why women know all of the seaweed yeah. Like, identification. Right. And where men are like, I don't know. Ask my aunt. Yeah, like, why that's a f- culturally mm-hmm. female knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so she was also, she was a leading expert on the Hawaiian edible seaweeds known as limu. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. L-I-M-U. I think limu. Um, and she was nicknamed the first lady of limu. Ooh. And so one type of seaweed called limu kala, um is probably the most important seaweed in Hawaii. And she says that people eat it, turtles eat it. The kala means to forgive. Oh, wow. And it's used in purification ceremonies like the uh, ho'oponopono. Okay. The ho'oponopono, uh, which is a Hawaiian reconciliation process. Oh, So they okay. all get in a circle and they have the seaweed. And then by the end, they're supposed to forgive whatever thing happened. Yeah. Um, or if you've been sitting with a dead person, they didn't explain what, the, like, I mean, I'm guessing for a funeral, not just. Oh, yeah. Or like, like while someone's dying, dying maybe by that. their side. Uh, or if you're going on a dangerous journey, Ooh. you have all of these, you have a ho'oponopono ceremony with this one. Very cool. Marine algae. I want to try it. <sighs> I know. I know you do. So. Maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe you're just hungry. So during this period, Izzy was also the investigator of a series of nine workshops dealing with the taxonomy of economic seaweeds. Oh, my gosh. So seaweeds are often used as a good food source. Yeah. um, And they also produce valuable chemicals or products that are economically important. Mm -hmm. Um, Some species of seaweed produce like agar and carrageenan, which are these like gelatinous products that we use for food like a lot of different food products, but also for like biomedical applications. Um, so they did a whole, yeah. they, they tried to determine the taxonomy um, and systematics of seaweeds that are economically important. Wow. So that you can actually say like, that is the economically important seaweed. Whereas this one that looks similar is a different species and yeah. it doesn't have as much au- auger or whatever. 
that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she did that. And then in 1997, Izzy received the Gilbert Morgan Smith Medal from the National Academy of Sciences in recognition of excellence in published research on marine or freshwater algae. So they have like a whole special... I don't know who Gilbert Morgan Smith was, but I'm guessing he worked on algae. <laughs> yeah, one would hope, oh, one, I guess. One could deduce. <laughs> or he just loved algae or something and yeah, gave he's a lot like of me. money to it. <laughs> Everybody thinks works on algae. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in 2005, she was named a living treasure of Hawaii. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which was one of Izzy's most prized awards as it meant that it was given to her for service to her community. So yeah. I think she said that she appreciated that one the most. Yeah. But then in, in 2008, she also received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Hawaiian Department of Land and Natural Resources for her work on invasive algae that affects coral reefs. So she worked on a lot of algae, some algae that were invasive to Hawaii and had were having negative effects on coral yeah. reefs and other important, you know, Go ecosystems. And then finally, uh, Isabella Abbott died on October 28th. 8th 2010 at the age of 91 at her home in Honolulu yeah recently um and she I think was doing research and identifying new species up until her like mid 80s that's insane there's a whole article about on her like celebrating her 85th birthday yeah um with like a seaweed party I'm guessing (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was like a whole like like economic botany journal issue that came out that was oh, for her birthday cool. nice because uh, i think she wow. was a great teacher and a great mentor yeah uh, and people just really liked her she was like a great person to interact with uh-huh. she was super excited about she taught a lot of like field courses and so they yeah. were like instantly go out and just like collect algae that's awesome yeah so yeah. she seems like a really cool lady and so, yeah, that's the story of Isabella Abbott, the wow, I love that. first Pacific Islander to, or the first Hawaiian to get a PhD in science, yeah. and also just like a, a boss lady of seaweed. That's amazing. Yeah. First female prof at Stanford. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, so many good things. <laughs> yeah, that's, those or are the things I have. prof, I guess. Awesome. I love her. Yeah, she's, she's cool. really cool. Yeah. I never heard of her. Yeah, That's I awesome. know. I worried there wasn't going to be enough. And I was like, oh, no, I think she's like pretty well known yeah. in some circles. I don't know. I'm guessing the Celt people, but like seaweed people, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what people, people know. No, I'm just imagining people coming out of the ocean, like covered in seaweed. <laughs> the, the, the Celt people, the Celt. like rising. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we know our Is queen. A, our queen is he. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the seaweed's been taking on so many roles: authoritarian oh. person, <laughs> sea yeah. person, God, God. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Work, 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 work. All right. This is our women who work section where we give a. Uh, Shout-outs to badass ladies making history today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that usually takes a couple tries. I know, we did. It was so smooth. Smooth um, like butter or Bailey's. <laughs> butter or Bailey's? Yeah, not okay. together. Not yeah. Together. I thought you said buttery Bailey's, and I was like, oh. <laughs> like, creamier Bailey's than it, like, usual. It doesn't need to be any creamier. Ugh. 
the word creamy also kind of freaks me out. All right. All right. Well, I have two <laughs> shout outs today. I have two shout outs today. Um, creamy beige. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you have two shout outs? number one. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm always like, who's listening? Like, I... If I give Who's this, gotten to this point? If I give this shout out and then this woman listens and is like, <laughs> why? Like, what, what is happening? <laughs> why did you do this to me? <laughs> okay. Okay. Shout out one goes to Dr. Maria Carmela Tartaglia, who is an associate professor at the University of Toronto. And she led a team of researchers... Um, in the identification of a possible biomarker that could allow doctors to detect CTE during a person's lifetime. Okay, so CTE is Tell me. chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is um, a degenerative brain disease linked to repeated head trauma. So they think like if you get like football, it's most well known now for occurring in football players who have received like a ton of head injuries Mm -hmm. throughout their careers and especially a lot of concussions. Is this for people who are like serial killers? There's like three things that people look out for. One of them is a traumatic head injury. Oh yeah. But I think, but is that different because it's only like one? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's... Yeah, because there are different types of head injuries. Like, remember that guy who had a pole go through his head? This is like a classic case in psych classes. Uh Uh-huh, yes. And then it went through his frontal lobe, I Mm -hmm. think, and it just changed his personality completely. Yeah. Like, you know, there's different types. That's not CTE. Or like... Uh Because CTE, the brain starts... Um, uh, like they don't actually really know what happens is part of the problem. Gotcha. But the brain starts losing mass or like neural connections uh-huh. or something, um, and just like degenerates over yeah. time. Okay. Yeah, I didn't look up how it specifically degenerates. That's okay. Though. That's okay. Yeah, but currently they can only diagnose someone with CTE by doing an autopsy after they die. Oh. Similar to Alzheimer's. Yeah, which is not as helpful. Right. So, like, you could see someone behaving weirdly Mm. or, like, acting out maybe or having issues regulating emotions. And you might say, hmm, this person's had a lot of, like, head injuries throughout their whole life or something or when they were, like, a teenager maybe. And now we're seeing this, like, maybe there's a link, but you won't know in their Until lifetime, basically. Okay. And you won't maybe know how to treat it even yeah. correctly. So, but her team, um, so what they did, this, po- this paper came out this week in the Neurology Journal. They did a small study of 22 men that, oh, sorry. Yeah, they examined the cerebrospinal fluid of 22 men that had experienced multiple head injuries like concussions as athletes when they were much younger. Okay. And now these men are like 56. <laughs> All 56. Yeah, I don't know. They said 56 specifically. Hey, yeah. It's That's a really good age. 
Um, and they also looked at some controls like people with Al- men with Alzheimer's disease and healthy men of the same age. And they sampled their cerebral spinal fluid and found that 12 of 22 of the athletic men uh-huh. um, had higher than normal levels of a protein called tau, which might have heard of it's like sometimes the higher levels of it have been associated with alzheimer's though they don't know that it's like a cause or effect right gotcha um and they found that these elevated levels of tau were correlated with changes in the white matter of of the brains of some of those men which is similar to brains of people with cte gotcha but obviously they can't tell everything about the brain but they can still scan parts of it because they're not killing these these 56 year old yeah, men that's no. good <laughs> i don't think you could do that um let's see and please don't do that they also like gave the participant had them undergo some cognitive tests and found that the study participants with elevated tau levels performed worse on executive function tests than those with normal levels mm. Okay. So there seems to be some correlation between this protein, changes in white matter in the brain, and um, cognitive abilities. But obviously, they don't know that these men have CTE. Um, they just know they've experienced concussions. They see that this. could cause yeah. something. And then I don't know if these men have like s- donated their brains to this when they do pass away yeah, or something be like because that would be a follow-up study yeah. to do i guess but you kind of can't yeah. sacrifice no no sacrifices <laughs> gotta wait um yeah so anyway there it may be at least tau might be hmm. you know a biomarker of possible like cte okay. in someone if, yeah yeah that'd be those things that you can only diagnose once you're dead is, like, super not helpful. Yeah, right. For <laughs> that person. For that person, yeah. yeah. Like, it's too late. Yeah. yeah so, like that would have been nice to know while I was alive. Yeah. But thank you. So, cool. anyway. Yeah. Shout out. So, that's shout out one to her research team. Love it. And then shout out two is a bit more of a fun topic. Hey, that other one was fun. <laughs> for some of us. For some for, of us. No. I don't know. I mean, not for them. No. Um, I mean, not really for me either. <laughs> but we're we're having we're fun. We're having fun. I enjoy talking to you, <laughs> no matter what the topic. Okay. Please get me out of this hole I've dug Shout myself. out to goes to Rebecca Birch and Laura Johnson, who published a paper this week in... Oh, this was a month ago. About a month ago <laughs> in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences. Still good. Still fresh. Okay. okay. Um, about where they studied the BMI, the body mass uh-huh. index, of over 3,000 Marvel characters. What? Yeah. To determine if their body types are realistic or not. I'm going to say the Hulk failed. <laughs> Did the Hulk fail? You know what? A lot of them failed. Yeah. Yeah. So, which isn't, it's, that's not surprising. They were just like, oh, is this overall true like Mm -hmm. what do we see you know why do we draw things this way is what they're interested in okay i'm gonna guess the males failed harder than the ladies uh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so they found that on average male superheroes had a super high bmi Mm -hmm. because 
they have extreme upper body mass. Yeah. And non- They're like triangles. Yeah. It's called, well, the title of their paper is Captain Dorito and the Bombshell. Because men <laughs> yes. look like Dorito, like yeah. the triangle. Did they do boob mass index? Because I feel they, like women would fail to. Yeah. That. So, like, men had high BMI because of their non-human um, shoulder <laughs> to Dorito waist shaped? Yeah, mm-hmm. ratios. While female superheroes were usually at the low end of what's considered a healthy BMI, but they were still had a normal-ish BMI or, okay. like, a healthy-ish BMI. But they had... Um, Close to or sometimes verging into non-human hip-to-waist ratios. Yes. Like Barbie, you know? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, you know, they were just kind of curious, like, what is the actual, like, math behind Uh this? Is there a trend? And they were just like, yeah, they're purposely, purpose, these characters are purposefully drawn to be these kind of super normal stimuli. I mean, they're superheroes, right? They're superhuman. And they're not biologically human but still appealing to us because they exaggerate what we already find attractive Mm -hmm. yeah so kind of interested in why are we into these non-human yeah why are we in the men that look like doritos and women (laughs) that look like hourglasses yeah i don't know like not like real people even not even just extreme versions of real people but a lot of the time like Physically inhuman yeah. proportions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've, I've known a few hulks in my day. <laughs> you don't <know> <laughs> Not like that. No, no. No. Um, yeah. I hang out with lanky men. I think even, like, you know, all the Marvel actors and actresses have to wear, like, crazy costumes yeah. to make it look like they have these non-human ratios. Yeah. And we love it. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. I mean, I don't really... I don't watch... Well, I mean, I think it's the same thing as a lot of studies in behavior, where we like the more exaggerated phenotypes. Like, what, there's a lot of studies that show, like, female animals enjoy crazy exaggerated male... Yeah, traits they don't see in the wild. They're really into. Like, they'll add length to a male bird's tail Mm -hmm. that's longer than any tail they would ever interact with in all the ladies' swoon. Yeah. (laughs) Or, like, they have, like, crazy male, the males have crazy vocal Uh stuff that no actual male has. And women will be like, oh, yeah, (laughs) give me more of those chucks. Yeah, they're just, like, playing into our sensory biases. Yeah. So, the bigger the better. Yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. It seemed like it would be a fun study to do. Yeah. Like, looking at all the proportions of all mm-hmm. these little comic book ca- characters. Yeah. Yeah, there's somebody who... My advisor... So, somebody posted all of the the death counts per season for Game of Thrones. Oh. And then my advisor did a regression to estimate how many people should die in this season. <laughs> Based on the oh. like growth, like the death rate has gone mm-hmm. up per season, yeah, and it's some, it's like more characters than there are in the <laughs> show. That does that, but that doesn't include like all the soldiers. Or no, anything? I think it does. I think oh. it's like everybody who I don't. Yeah, I'm. I'm not positive 
yeah. what they've included in people gotcha, that gotcha. matter for uh, the death toll. But yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but we'll see. No spoilers. Don't no worry. Spoilers. But we'll see. A Coming of, soon. Not two enough more, people have died. Two more eps left. Yeah, I don't know if that's a controversial statement, but <laughs> I feel more similarly like. Oh, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. yeah. I feel so We'll talk about this out. after. Yeah. You and I. So <laughs> this has been our episode. Um, I want to give a shout. It, it has. It has. I'm a, I'm a sugar head. Like, it hasn't. But it no, has. No, it's more like, yeah. Like, what? I was... A no <laughs> shake. Okay. But it was like, I can't do it again. Okay, I don't, don't even do know it what again. I did. And no one can see it, so... <laughs> okay. Yeah. So... Uh, if you liked our episode, please rate, review, subscribe. It means a lot to us. We appreciate it. Yeah. And cherish them. And yeah. they're close to our heart. And we read them during <laughs> our private time, apparently. Yeah. And uh, also thank you to Caitlin Friesen for all of our awesome art that I she know. posts. It's, there's been some new stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you've only seen our merch... Definitely check out our Instagram page yeah. to see some of the newer. Yeah, we have a bunch of new stuff. Yeah, we haven't it. made them into merch, but if you want something as merch, let us know because yeah, and it's not hard it for us to do. Yeah, and we'll do it. Yeah, but you got to let us know if you're interested. Uh, so thank you to Caitlin Friesen and thank you to Artichoke for our awesome theme music. And as always, go go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. <laughs>